Hey everybody, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Chatting with Country. Today on the line, I have Sam and Janet. Good morning. Good morning, good people. Good morning. And today we are going to discuss healthy relationships and just loving yourself. And so I thank you all for being on with me today. It's a pleasure. We are so excited. Thank you for asking us. I thought we were talking about food. No. Listen, oh. listen, listen. Okay. Listen, all right. listen here. Let me, let me get on the right track. Listen, listen here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that part. But right now. <laughs> no. I thought I was getting ready to get some free recipes or something. Oh, oh. <laughs> Although I do love to cook, you know. Uh, I used to love to cook. Now it's just like, I don't have, it's just me and Xander. And so the house at one point, you know, I was married, I'm recently divorced and the house was full of kids and it was all active. So I had to learn how to cook for just us. And so I don't cook as much because Xander don't eat soul food and stuff. So he loves broccoli and ranch and salads and he's a very healthy eater. So I don't get oh, to really? do all that. Mm-hmm. How old is he now? Xander is eight. Wow, Talisa. I know. <laughs> you started like from scratch. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, because Tiana is 26. So Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. You know, we, um, <laughs> well, as you know, Sam is a foodie. I don't cook. You know, it's real interesting that when I talk to people and they say how much they love cooking, I have never <laughs> loved cooking. I've done it because it was necessary, but mm -hmm. I've never loved cooking. And uh, Sam would sit there and say, babe, but you put so much love in your in your food. I'm like, listen, I'm just a Creole cook, but um, <laughs> I have 15,000 other things that I would do before I cook it, before being in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. He, on the other hand, absolutely loves to cook. Thank God for that. Oh! Ah! I'm the shade. That's the word I'm going to say. Yes, yes, I am. Yes, I said it. And it's recorded live. <laughs> it's too early for the shade, Sam. Not yet. <clears throat> shade tree in full effect. So okay, why is that shade when you don't like to cook? And if we I don't cook, we don't eat. Because why is it shade? Listen, listen, here's the I thing. think it's me giving myself props and making sure we're well fed. Babe, but it you, is, it is. Everybody in the whole wide world knows you are the cook in this household. Everybody knows. Even and I know. Mm -hmm. Even she is she all the way in Washington. I want some respect on my name. <laughs> some respect on my name. <laughs> okay, y'all. So tell me a little bit about you all. Let's start there. Um, you can go as far back as you like, um, and then kind of come up, I would say about 30. To about 30 years old? Yeah. Ooh. Just throw some stuff at me. She don't, she don't know how old we are, huh? She knows. Oh, how but old I do. 
Yes, oh, but I do. I've been around for a long time. She was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know the backstory. Mm-hmm. Just, a- let's talk about like, let's start from like when we met. No, that's not what she asked. Okay. That's not she what I asked. Asked. That's my next question after you get me some background. Follow the script, babe. Follow okay, I'll script. go first. Yes. Because mine's going to be short because my wife likes to talk. Oh, oh. Uh, I'm originally <laughs> from, oh, she said start from 30. So no, 30. No, 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 no. To the beginning up to 30. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, I was born and raised in Mississippi, contrary to what someone else might say. Uh, left home at 18, went straight into the United States Air Force. I thought I was going to be in the military for 20 years, but found out it really wasn't my cup of tea, which actually, now that I'm thinking about it, really shocked me because I had really planned on staying in for at least 20. Anyway, I uh, got out of the uh, military around 90, 91, and was living in California. Uh, the joke with me is that I'm technically a Californian because I lived there longer than I lived in my home state. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. which got some some truth to it right mm-hmm. um <clears throat> got kind of uh tired of living in cal actually i got kind of homesick i got tired of uh not having any of my family around right i know mm-hmm. it's not cool for grown men to express too much emotion these days but i've always been this way um so i decided to move back not to mississippi because there wasn't a lot going on here at the time but i had family in the uh, atlanta georgia area and i decided to move there well and then you can stop right there because you went well past age of 30. well you know i can't remember when at age of 30 i'm an old guy well you had gotten married you had had a child you had went into you you went into the financial services business you were a car salesman at one point you were doing a lot of different things between the air force and and you know before you before you went to Atlanta, why am I telling your story? This is what makes a good partnership. Huh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what? See, here's the thing, Talisa. As he said, don't be minimizing your stories, babe. <laughs> Put some respect on your name. <laughs> okay, well, that part she just added to. Mm-hmm. So you have one child. Have daughter. one daughter mm-hmm. uh, from a previous marriage. What else should I add? You're about to be a, a about to be a, a grandfather, mm-hmm. a Paul. Well, technically, you are already, but this will be the yeah, first one it, that uh, you're. I call it biological Paul Paul. Okay, you're gonna okay. be a bio Paul Paul. Okay. Bio Paul. Okay. Bio Paul. Bio Paul. Yeah, like a clinical trial. Yeah, you know? You know Remind me of uh, that comedian called everybody a test tube, baby. Okay. You had an accident? Oh, you want detail stuff. Well. Uh, okay, I had a car accident now that you brought it up. How old were you when you had your car accident? 30-ish. 30-ish? Okay. I broke I broke both ankles in my right leg, had to learn how to walk again. I was out for a whole year, which was really an eye-opener as far as what I was doing with my life and everything. And that's when I decided to kind of circle back around and get into a field that always interested me, which was investing in finance. Okay, stop right there. How did that make you feel? Um starting basically starting over, learning how to walk again, because that meant you had to pull on other people um for a while that left that's a great question because i had well i can't 
I had no family there, right? Mm -hmm. But I did have family. So I had some really great friends, two uh, in particular, who actually, you know, because I had to be taken to my doctor's appointments mm -hmm. uh, and all of that in a wheelchair for like six or eight months. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. really, really couldn't get around. Um, but uh, it, it was kind of, even I remember going through it, I looked at it like a, a fresh start. I know that sounds crazy because I was in a lot of pain <laughs> and everything, and, you know, my whole life changed. But I just kept thinking about, OK, now this is like a wake up call because I technically I should have died in that car accident. Mm. Right. Um, so I just always looked at it as a kind of a call to action. And then that's what I did. As soon as I you know, was released and could go back to work and all that, I tried to go back into uh, the car business. I was a sales manager. We were selling Porsche, Audi and, and Volkswagen. I couldn't do that because the healing process was going to be a long journey. It wasn't like, okay, yeah, everything's fine now. You can go out and start doing all these other things you were doing before. That wasn't the case. So I had to kind of re reinvent myself, if you will. And then that that idea of be getting into financial services resurfaced. And then I went out and I made that happen. Actually, the, the story on that is I was going to go and uh, get an internship and complete my degree in business management and finance <laughs> and actually got hired as a stockbroker instead of being an intern. So that's how my career started in financial services. I always say um, that God tries to get our attention, right? Oh, yeah. In certain stages of our lives. And mm -hmm. so he starts out and he'll throw a pebble. Then he'll, he'll throw a, a rock and then he'll throw a brick and then he'll throw a bigger stone. Right. And then he'll drop the whole house, you know, mm -hmm. and then it's like, okay, I hear you. Which way do you want me to go? You know, um, because somewhere between 18 and about 25, 26, you know, we start to do our own thing, um, learning through experience and gathering information, creating a testimony, right? And mm -hmm. so that's what made me ask that question with both of your ankles being broken, right? Because it's basically becoming submissive, being open to receiving what it is you need to do next and how you need to do it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And I'll I'll even say sometimes he'll throw you he'll throw you around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he'll yeah. throw you around. Make you have to just okay. All right, I got it. I got it now. You know, yeah. don't please, please stop. I got it. My umbrella is is broke. The the metal pieces are just everywhere. Just help me. Um, mm -hmm. come on, Jan. What about you? Well, um, I was born a, uh, a military brat. I was born in, in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, but I was raised in uh, Gary, as you well know. Uh, mm -hmm. Went to school, at work. Um, you know, as you already know this, but I have been singing since, probably since the womb. And so a great deal of my younger life was Wherever I could sing, wherever I could use my voice is what I did. Um, let me see. I didn't have any relatives for, for myself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, me and my older brother, we didn't have any relatives in Gary. My mom was from North Carolina and my dad was from Louisiana. 
So I can remember when my brother, when one of my aunts, and we didn't know our families on either side, when, when uh, one of my aunts got uh, into, she, she was a victim of a hit and run. Um, so they were having her funeral. It was one of my Louisiana aunts. And my brother, Tony, went to Louisiana to attend the funeral. And he met our family for the first time. And he was like, Jan, you know, you need to, you need to come down here and get to know your people, right? So after graduation, that is really exactly what I did. I went there because for me growing up, I didn't see myself in mm -hmm. like my family members. I was the lightest one, you know, um, I was the shortest one. I was the curviest one. You know, and it was like, well, you know, and even my thought process, I, my thought process was so different. So when I got to Louisiana and I, I saw my grandmother, you know, it, it's really interesting that my entire family knew who I was. I just didn't know who they were. Yeah. But um, I saw my grandmother and then I saw these sea, a sea of people who looked just like me. And that connection so strong that obviously I stayed. And so as Sam says that, you know, that he is from Mississippi, but he's more California than uh, Mississippi, because really that's, that's the area that kind of built him to, mm -hmm. you know, where he is and where he was most comfortable. For me, it is definitely, you know, I'm from Louisiana through and through. I'm a Louisiana girl through and through. You know, no place else have I, you know, ever been where I've had the same connection with my family, except with my Louisiana family. And so um, went to Louisiana, you know, from there I was in school, out of school, and then I had... You know, I had my first child, then I had a, I had a son and I had a daughter. And um, then by the time I was, I turned 30, I found myself a widow. And um, during that process, during that, those, uh, those 20s, the year of 20s, I also found um, a deeper, well, a connection you know, because, you know, my family was very heavily involved in church. And so I found that that connection there as well. What God, you know, how to talk to God, you know, how to move with the Lord, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. So I was really exposed to that. And uh, that's pretty much, well, that kind of rounds it out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound as exciting as Sam's. <laughs> You know what, but you, you said a lot, right? So to come from a place to where, you know, you felt like a sore thumb, right? To mm -hmm. finally being embraced by people that look like you, right? That was a mouthful in itself because then that means you were able to grow into who you are today, right? Yeah. It took those moments to, to help shape you. And so that's a lot. I always... Um, going back to the babies ooze and and juicy right they were like two peas in a pot and mm -hmm. juicy is my my baby brother sam mm -hmm. and 
And so Juicy's nose used to run and he used to suck his thumb and his ears used to stick out, but it used to be ooze and, and ooze would probably kill me for being on air talking about ooze, right? And Juicy will too for calling him Juicy and his name <laughs> ooze, right? <laughs> but then, and then Hario, Boogie's son. So it used mm -hmm. to be the three of them. And I often wonder, do they ever, you know, still say hello um, to one another? I don't, I will have to ask him, you know, Rob, we don't call him ooze anymore. <laughs> You know, it's real It's real interesting that in in stages of your of your lifetime, you know exactly how long someone has known you by the name they call you, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like the the family. My family does call Rob Ooze, you know, but <laughs> 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 so it's like you know. <laughs> He's gonna always be ooze to family, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, since he's 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 a whole married man with with kids. <laughs> oh, okay, call, call me so, Robert. Dang it! <laughs> so now we just call him Rob. Okay. <laughs> but That's my cool. mom, she has always called him Bobby. Aww. No matter what, she called him Bobby. So, you know, he's a. Uh, I don't know, you know, because Rob has, has, you know, he has a whole life story. You know, he went into the military and all that kind of stuff. You know, and like I said, he's 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 definitely a Louisiana kid or man, you know, because mm -hmm. he's still in Louisiana raising his family. He's about two hours away from our family. So it's not too far. You know, it's it's not too close. But it's not too far. So if if he needed his family, that somebody would be able to be there, you know, relatively quickly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. how did you all meet? You want to go with that one? I'll let you start with that. I'll start it off. I had uh, left California and my family tried to get me to stay in Mississippi, but I moved on to Atlanta. Q Janet. Well, prior to that, prior to his move, uh, when Hurricane Katrina came, it kind of, you know, I evacuated and um, I was living in about 30 minutes, 20 minutes from New Orleans at the time. And, um, you know, the, it was hurricane season every time that year. And that, that was in uh, 2000 and what, five, 2005, every hurricane, it was real active that particular year. And so we actually evacuated a few times and we were trying to go to my family who lived two hours away. The last time we tried to evacuate for a two hour drive, you know, we were on the, the hot, we were on the interstate for like 10 hours. And so, and then of course, you know, the, the storm turned and we went back home, but I said, if another one came that I would not be going to my family, I would go to my mom. Cause by this time she had been living back in uh, North Carolina for a few years. So that was my plan. So when hurricane Katrina came, I decided to go East <clears throat> and um, I ended up stopping in Atlanta because, you know, Zoran lives in Atlanta. 
I was going to pause and then continue the trip, but I never left Atlanta. So that was on the storm touchdown on a Sunday. I think that by Thursday, I was going back down to see, you know, what the damage was, what the devastation, you know, thinking that it was just going to be normal because I just had Ray at the time because Rob was already gone. And, um, you know, I just told her to just pack probably like a week's worth of clothes that we we was just going to consider it as a little vacation. But <clears throat> once we found our way back down and it was really, really challenging getting back down there and you had no water, no food, no gas, no shelter, no nothing. It was horrible. I made a decision to. You know, I said, if I had to start from scratch, then. I was going to start from scratch in Atlanta. So I went back to Atlanta on a whim. <clears throat> I ended up working for a pharmaceutical company and, you know, everything turned out really, really nicely. I want to say that, you know, Sam, so I was there for like 10 years, right? Um, Sam came, well, no, not exactly. Well, Total, I was there for 10 years. But Sam came, I think, in 2000, what? 11. 2011. Okay. I don't remember the year we met. Babe, sad, when did you sad. come? I remember the year we met, but when did you come? Same year we met. Okay. Well, in any case, Zoran calls me up, <laughs> okay? And he's like, Jan, I want you to come help me find a car. I know what kind of car I want. Yada, yada, yada. And you know, Zoran is an old, old guy. Yes, he is. He got to be like 82. You know, <laughs> like really. Very much so. He wanted this old school car. He had to have it. He had to have that car. We narrowed down like three or four dealerships that we were going to go to. And he, he, he ended up picking this one that was so far out of the way. For both of us, because, you know, we didn't live close. Zoran and I lived about an hour from each other. And so this place was like, it wasn't close to him and it wasn't close to me. And I was so annoyed. We get to the dealership and, you know, I see this guy come out. You know, I have an attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I see this guy come out and so Zoran and I get out the car and he comes up you know what are we looking for today and I don't say nothing <laughs> so Zoran is talking about this car and you know whatever and so we find ourselves inside and I am just keeping keeping my mouth closed the whole time because this is not the Janet show this is the Zoran show my only purpose in being there is making sure that you know he possibly can right so go ahead insert i met you at the dealership what did you say when we when when you start talking about the car you mean when you guys first pulled up uh-huh yeah i greeted you professionally you guys professional i thought you were a couple so i'm like hey how you folks doing today what can i help you with today yeah he thought he thought me and zaran were together mm. Yeah, I mean that's that's the normal because how yeah I, that's the norm. You, yeah, yeah, I agree. Man, that, Rand that is 12, showed, 12 years younger than me. That showed the level of respect I have for people. Oh, okay, that's that's the story you're going with. Okay. That's the truth. 
That's so true. Because you know the Atlanta then they they don't they don't care. No, they don't. You know, they I'm, don't. I'm a uh, Mississippi boy. We still have values and respect and everything. Anyway, so I, I did my my professional you know greeting and everything <laughs> and came in and uh, you know and I did I was feeling away because I kind of noticed her right kind of felt the way and I brushed it off and oh man this 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 couple here gonna get a car stay focused stay professional and then uh, if we yeah, so because Iran knew what he wanted, so right. we didn't spend a whole lot of time, you know, playing around. We went into the office, and I uh, something told me to ask the question to make sure they were together or not. Where I said, "Oh, so will uh, will this be in both names or just your name, sir?" So Iran goes, "Man, my sister." <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, sir, I didn't know, sir. I'm just, you know, making sure, you know, I get this right. But then that was my 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 cue, right? Okay, oh, it's on now. So the entire so Sam, time, let me ask you a question. Did you have like a feeling on the inside that was like trying to reach out and grab her? Like, man, this is her. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh -huh. she got out of the car first. And then when she got out, I was like, I think I did a little stutter step. Right. So it was immediate. And I said, OK, now I don't know what that was. Mm -hmm. this car. And uh, as it progressed, as, as we went forward in the process, I said, I got to find I got to find out because I got a feeling about this. Right. I got to find out. So that made me ask that professional question which <laughs> I ask every client. <laughs> is this going to be in both names or just yours? <laughs> so I got hot. Yeah, he yelled it too. That's my sister. Man. What That's you my sister. Okay, sir. No worries. I, I got no problem. But that um, he's trying to gotta... talk like he's something. Uh -huh. you know? uh -huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But, but that, that gave me the freedom to address the feeling I was having, right? And it didn't bother me that she was, I guess you would say, being stuck up or just closed. I right? was just standoffish. Something kept telling me to keep doing my thing, which is just being me. I'm, I don't have any sweet sayings or any gain. I'm just being me. She's either going to, you know, like me or just I'm not the guy. But I just kept going on what I was feeling on the inside. And then I think now you can say what triggered you, because that's when we actually, when I got the cue from you that it was okay for me to move forward, that's when I moved forward. I think that, um, as I stated, I was just really standoffish. I really wasn't really engaging in conversation or anything like that. And um, I don't know exactly what was said, but <clears throat> I remember sitting there because he was he was sitting on the edge of his desk and Zran and I were sitting in chairs. But I recall um, looking up at him and the weirdest thing happened. So before I tell you what happened, I'll give you a little backstory. <laughs> my mom had dreamt about my father since she was 12 years old. My mom was raised in North Carolina. My father was raised in Louisiana. She had never, ever seen his face before, but she had been dreaming about him. And so she knew him without even knowing him. So when he went into the military and he was stationed at Fort Bragg, you know, by that time, she was like 16. Um, they, she was at a basketball game at, uh, I think, Fayetteville State. And he walked past the, the the stadium floor and she told her cousin, that's him. She was like, who? That's the man in my dreams. Okay. 
my aunts, my Louisiana aunts, have told me stories of, you know, when they met their mates, how they knew that that, that was their mates. Even one of my brothers that got married to a girl down there, you know, he shared with me how he knew that she was the person that he was supposed to marry. And so for me, none of that had ever happened. So I'm like, you know, when it comes to like, quote unquote, your soulmate, right? Mm -hmm. None of that had ever happened. I had, because I had already gone through a divorce, you know, I had had this conversation with one of my other aunts that I really didn't even believe that there was a such thing as a, uh, you know, as a, as a, um, what do you call it? A soulmate for me. I thought, I felt like because I was a widow that had already passed at that person, you know, I had already had one. And so she had to really break down what a soulmate was for me and, and you know, and all of that kind of stuff. Tell and us what a soulmate is. <clears throat> well, what she said was it's the person that helps you to build you, that helps you grow spiritually. Because the idea of marriage, biblically speaking, is marriage is the first um, um I am completely losing my train of thought. But but marriage is the first um commitment. No, it's not the first commitment, it's something covenant. It is a covenant, but it's first something step, else. The first layer, the first oh it, it's gonna come to me in a minute, but um but when it comes to you know, because marriage is honorable in the sight of God, right? Everybody knows that scripture. Marriage is he 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 prefers marriage is honorable in his sight. And so <clears throat> it's the first ministry. Marriage is the first ministry. So when you marry your, when, when you commit to a soulmate that because it's all spiritual, then the first thing it does is it, it, is it helps you connect more spiritually to God. And then everything else just kind of falls in place, you know, after that. So she had really broken that down to me and um, she encouraged me to write, you know, she encouraged me to change my language on how I looked at things. Instead of saying, I don't want, then you say exactly what it is that you do want. Take the negative connotation out and make a statement because God in his infinity, he will give you, he, you know, the energy goes to what it is that you really desire. But at the same time, the power of life and death is in the tongue. So if you speak negative connotation, then that's what you get back. If you speak positive connotation, then that's what you get back. So I had to learn that. And it took me, um, I, I, I did my little list, you know, and I tucked it away. Because, you know, she said, which is absolutely true, you really should really have no more than five like deal breakers. You know, we walk around with these these lists of things that, you know, the man got to have and blah, 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 blah. And most of the time it's real insignificant. Mm -hmm. So you have to create your list and then really break it down. So I did that particular work. I threw the piece of paper into a, um, the back of the drawer, forgot about it. You know, I had been in Atlanta so long that it kind of had, had uh, skewed my thinking on, 
you know, what I really wanted. And then I go to this dealership with my brother. I see this guy. I'm really not paying him any attention. Suddenly I look up and I see literally like he's glowing. A silhouette around him. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was. And so I did a double take. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And so I looked again and it was there. And then at that particular time, when I had looked again, he was talking, but he, he looked up into my eyes. And when I tell you that his eyes were literally shooting sparks, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Scratching my head and everything. And I was like, okay, Lord, is, is this for real? Are you serious? Is, this is what this this is what this is. Because <laughs> I was completely, I wasn't turned off of him. I was turned off on the idea of, of dating, period. That's really what I was turned off on. So, but once I saw that, there's the things that I'll never forget. I became more open to really hearing what he was saying, right? And then I started noticing like all of these things about him. I noticed the smooth, dark skin, right? Mm. <laughs> I noticed the white teeth. I was like, oh, he has a very pleasant face. <laughs> these are things that I was saying in my head. So by the time we finally, 15 hours later, when we finally got my brother's paperwork and stuff done and he, he got the car. Oh, Sam was stalling, huh? No, no it really don't wasn't blame it on the bank. Blame it was the sales bank. manager. It was the sales that all, manager. That almost messed everything up because she was getting hot. Trying to sell my brother a bucket, girl. A gas guzzling bucket. Nothing like what he wanted. So, mm. you know, I'm real clear about things. You know, when I tell you what I want and you're trying to steer me to something else, I just get up and walk away because I don't have to spend my money here. Mm -hmm. But my brother was determined to get <laughs> that car. Mm -hmm. I was ready to walk, but he was like, no, Jan. Mm -hmm. So that's what prolonged the, the, and I guess it was, you know, it's what needed to happen because by the time we finished um, the, the process, I had agreed to go out, go out on a date mm -hmm. with him. Oh, you had got the revelation. Took 15 hours to get the 15 revelation done. Took 15 hours, but wait. You know, I'm a closer. I drink a lot of coffee. Coffee's for closers. In my mind, though, because this is what I had grown accustomed to, right? In my mind, because I pushed the... He, he asked me to go out on a date, and I pushed it to the end of the week. That way I could cancel something. Cause you know, something can always come up. So I wasn't quite convinced 100% yet. <laughs> Even though I had seen what I do call, literally do call a miracle in, in progress for me to even see anything like that. Um, I still, you know, I still had that particular type of mentality. So we had scheduled the day for either that following Friday or Saturday. And then, go ahead. And then me being the sharp guy that I am, I said, wait a minute. I'm not the only candidate trying to 
if you know what I mean. So I said, let me move this up. So I asked if we can go on Sunday. Yeah. Which would have been the next day, right? Because you guys yeah. came in on a Saturday. Uh-huh. The next yeah, day. The next day. And she said, yes. So here's here's the here was the in comes the first little test. <laughs> I, you know, if I were so bold to brag on my skill set, I'm just I'm good at what I do. Okay, so I hadn't been there but two months, mm -hmm. but I had also already done well. And the owners of the dealership had uh, season tickets for the Falcons. <clears throat> so they said, oh, man, you're going to the game with us, right? I got that at the last minute. It was too late for me to call her uh, that's, that's, that Saturday evening because we were working late that Saturday evening. And I said, I got to let her know, right? I said, that's going to ruin this thing. So told me, no, just let her know. So I said, hey, here's what here's what happened. Actually, I got that information that 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 morning. Yeah. Yeah, it was that morning. My, my bad. And I said, hey, oh man, they just called me and said, I pretty much I gotta go to this because you know it's the owners there and everything, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, can we reschedule for later? And it shocked me that she agreed to that. <laughs> because mm -hmm. I thought, okay, here, here we go. This guy getting out of the date, right? And went to the game. Uh, glad I did because that kind of helped my uh, career uh, at that time and I, I always thought you kind of recognized that Janet well or you were like whatever just go do what you're going to do no you know working in corporate America I did understand the need to you know quote unquote be the team player but more so than that it was you know I'm not a Falcons fan but I am absolutely a live sports fan mm -hmm. And I had gone to several you know, Atlanta games, Falcon games, and it's just the energy. So I was like, oh, if you got tickets and see, you must attend. So, mm -hmm. so that it was, was an early game. So we decided to meet up later. Mm -hmm. Right. And we did. So for me, coming out of, you know, California and, and relationships I had there, that was huge. Right. That we, mm -hmm. she actually was cool with me. Uh, changing the plans and we still met up later on. So that was a big uh, check mark for me. So we met up in Atlantic station where they had, um, they had a California pizza kitchen in Atlantic station. So it wasn't anywhere close to my house. <laughs> it was on neutral <laughs> ground. Right. And, um, you know, cause I'm still being safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, she, um, we went there, we we ended up having dinner. We were having some amazing conversation. And before I knew it, we had actually closed the place down. Mm -hmm. They were waiting for us to leave. Okay. Uh, we were closing down. Uh, Can y'all get yeah, out of in here? We didn't even recognize we were the only, realize we were the only people in there. Aww. And that hadn't happened to me in, I can't even tell you the last time something like that just having conversation. I found him to be an exceptional conversationalist, you know, and we talked about real life situations. Mm -hmm. We talked about, you know, just, we just talked about all kinds of stuff. And one Let of the- Let me do an answer here. Okay. Because you kind of going into another question, right? Okay. Um, and this is kind of where we're defining we're defining healthy relationships. Being able to converse is extremely important. Mm 
in a relationship and I feel like early on you know the one because it's like your bodies wake up um a a 1900 person and it's like oh my god I finally found you and the bodies are trying the souls are trying to get out to get to one another and so when you all were at the pizza place and you're gazing into one another's eyes and it's just the two of you there and nobody else matters right we're starting to build a healthy relationship that from from that start because now you're able to converse and be relatable to one another. So let's talk about that. Well, you know, I don't even know what I don't know about the whole gazing in the eyes because keep in mind, now we're older, we have had a whole lot of life experiences and both of us have had several relationship failures. And so me, I'm just naturally more on the uh, realistic side of life. And so I don't necessarily want to be gazing into your eyes and get all emotional. I need to be able to hear. I need to be able to hear because what I learned is that I actually need, I need a person who can hold conversations that's what and you know most of the time you come across guys that their their topic of conversation is sports their topic is you know whatever craziness happened with the baby mama drama you know the topic of conversation is and it's really really kind of like superficial again especially in Atlanta because the ratio is so outrageous. The men to women ratio is really so outrageous. So, you know, I was paying very, very close attention to <clears throat> not only what, what he was saying, but the tone in which he was saying the, the, and where the conversation was going. And the things that were important to me, I found were important to him as well. You know, when we started talking about, you know, our parents and what was going to, you know, because I don't know, Talisa, it was like I had always known that if anything were to ever happen to my mom where she could no longer live by herself, that 99.9% .9 of the time did live with me. And I had already been having those conversations with her, you know, um, you know, I just been having the 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 those later in life conversations with her already. So I was already preparing her for, you know, if anything should happen, mom, you're all the way in North Carolina, you're you're relatively there by yourself. You know, well, your children have to really think about the, the fact that you're gonna be relocating and being with me. Well, in talking to Sam on that first date he was having the same type of conversation with, with me about his parents that I was having about mine. And that was the first like, quote unquote, real connection to something much more deeper than ourselves. Because caring for your parents or even, even having the conversation of moving a parent into the house, that really changes a whole dynamic of a relationship. So we had had that conversation in our first uh, 
at our first meeting, at our first our, our first date. And then after that, you see, so again, I'm still on the fence because I'm waiting to see what you're going to do. But what he did was every day, he showed up every day in some kind of way. Either he was calling me, every day he had to see me, whether it was for a 15 minute lunch or whatever. And keep in mind, we live like an hour apart. So that showed me that he was really, um, he was really trying to be vested in getting to know me and building, possibly building something with me. You have anything to add to that? No. Okay. Did I answer you your all, question? You did. Do you all believe people should be compatible or do you feel like opposites do attract? <sighs> That's, a good That's a good question. We, I, go ahead. I think there's, there has to be some type of compatibility. Uh -huh, for, thank sure. You. Uh, for sure. But I've also seen where opposites attract as well. Well, but we we are, I think we're on the spectrum of more compatibility than being totally opposite. I think that in areas where things where things are really really important because none of us want to parrot, right? None of us want to parrot. We say that we want somebody like us, but no we we actually don't. The purpose is it's almost like a yin and yang thing. Where I am weak at, Sam is strong. Where Sam is weak at, I am strong. And so we complete, we, that's where you complete one another and become that wholeness of one, right? If we're sitting around here being, and everything is, we're so much alike, we're just two individuals that just came together. But when we are able to, to, be able to share whatever our differences are to make us stronger, then that's the thing that I really enjoy. Sam and I have a, we do have a lot of different things in common, right? We like the love of family. That is definitely something that, you know, when people are talking about being in relationships, you have to come together on those really, really tough um topics and family is one of them right mm -hmm. so that's where we are very very much alike very compatible right because we think the same way but i will tell you sam actually goes deeper than i do on it because i do have a threshold that i simply will not cross i just won't but sam will he is much more um he is much more compassionate, I feel, than I am. <laughs> I am, you know, I, you know, we both do a lot of deep thinking, deep diving, but I am able to see a lot of different things more than, you know, better than he is. And I'll bring that to the table. So it works for both of us. You know, Sam is the person that says, you know, he'll jump right in that deep. He'll jump in the deep real quick and I'll, you know, calculate the depth <laughs> you know? and I want to do the depth in stages. You know, Sam just wants to dive all the way to the bottom. And I'm like, because no, when I've got to, to the stages. point of diving in, I've done my research and everything. And that, that has worked well for me when I've been on my game, like now, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes you just be throwing wrenches out there. I ain't throwing no wrench. <laughs> okay. How important is communication and respect? Oh my God. Let's let Sam I'm... answer that. Let's... Communication is, is vital for me. And when you hear an answer like that, you think, some people think, oh, yeah, I be talking all the time. What's more important is that we don't have to talk all the time. It's the we're in um, the same space, and that's that nonverbal communication. Uh, we're not constantly having deep conversations all the time, Mm-mm. but it's vitally important because we want to be able to express, you know, what we're feeling, what we're thinking. We both have businesses we're running. You know, we talk about those things. We talk about life. We talk about kids, grandkids, you know, uh, and just general conversations, right? Uh, respect is in is a, is a deal breaker for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I and here's why I say that because I know what I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I know how uh, who I am. I know how I treat my wife, what I do for my wife, what I do for my family. So there's no reason I should ever be dis- disrespected, um, especially from her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, so that's that's huge for me. And and. Conversely, then that leads me, if that's something that's important to me, guess what? I treat her the same way. I don't, you know, I'm not going out here calling out her name. We don't have those type of, well, I can't even say we have arguments, really. No, uh, <laughs> we don't really have arguments. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, that's my take on that. We don't have arguments. We have, we might have a discussion and then it's, it's over. But I, we absolutely agree that communication is is very important because it keeps you on the same page. Mm -hmm. But Sam and I, this is one of the other things that really attracted me to him. He doesn't use up space just talking, just talking. I have always been- I don't do that because I don't like that. Right. I I have always been able to sit in silence and Sam, we can both sit in silence and be very, very comfortable with one another in our silence. So, but, you know, we do have, you know, our important conversations because we need to be on the same page and we need to know where the other person, what, how the other person came to whatever conclusion they came to and all of that. And then when it comes to respect, you know, again, for me, it is, it is a huge thing and it is, disrespect is an absolute deal breaker for me as well. You know, we as women, I hear the modern woman talk about how, you know, she wants a man and, you know, da da da, all of the things that whatever her requirements are. But in the same breath, I'm not submitting to nobody. I ain't submitting to no man. What kind of fallacy is that? You know, yada yada. I hear that constantly. And what I say to that in this, you know, Well, the first thing I'll say is that I'm never huge on disrespect because I feel that if I have to, if I say something, because I'm not real quick to speak. So if I do say something untowards, that means that I am done with you, that I'm not doing that back and forth with you. I'm simply done. So I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to be with somebody that I can't respect, but when you find a person where you know you can you can hold your conversations and you can 
You can express yourself without being disrespectful. For a woman, it is a very, very safe space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's our natural to admit because we're in a safe space. So when Sam and I, on the rare occasions that we disagree, you know, I don't always agree with Sam says, and he doesn't always agree with what I say. There is a way of disagreeing without being disagreeable. And that's what we do. We don't call each other out of, out of our names. You know, we, it's, I simply am not that girl. I'm simply not that, not that person. And he's not that way either, which, you know, we get along <laughs> so incredibly well. I'm sure that we have all had relationships where that really, mm-hmm. you know, and this is not that, um, you know, it's, it's important. We did a um, podcast yesterday where um, I was just talking to the guys and they were saying how big respect is. And if a man is respected, they will naturally love, you know, mm-hmm. you, you respect me. And that, that love is true. Naturally. That is true. Because for women, love is, what is, for women, love is security. For men, love is respect. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. I don't even need him. We were having this conversation not too long ago. I think you were talking to somebody else and you asked me, babe, when was the last time we actually said I love you to each other? (laughs) We don't, you, we, and, and when we thought about it, we realize that it's not something that we actually say. Mm-hmm. We don't say it with words every day, but our actions actually speak way louder than our words could. We are actionable people because love is an action verb. Mm-hmm. So we show a lot. What makes you all smile? <laughs> that. Me asking that question, <laughs> right? This, is this uh, a grown-up show? Or? This is a grown-up show, Sam. This is a grown-up show. You know, I was telling Jan earlier, you know, I got called a, a gangster church girl. A gangster church? Okay. <laughs> what makes you smile, babe? Um, our good morning ritual. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, tell us about the ritual. <laughs> I mean, give us the PG version, like. <laughs> get the uh, the beat machine right now. Just when you know, every morning, <laughs> sure that we actually. Our way of saying good morning is is embracing each other and spending you know a few minutes doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I you know get my grown man rub on and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the cleanest way I can say it. Uh, and that's how we start our day. And, you know, uh, oh, it's something extremely small when you just look at it, but powerful uh, for a couple to do because how many people get up, go about their day, might get a little smack right on the cheek or the lips or whatever, and then that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So we learn to be like intentional with our with each other because our lives really 
really have been very hectic in the last few years. Crazy. And so what we do in the morning is, um, you know, we drink bulletproof coffee, right? And Sam is generally up with the chickens. I don't <laughs> generally get up that early, but because he trades, he gets up really early and he that's his alone time, right? He don't have to, he don't have to ask me a single question, baby, are you ready to eat or anything? It's just Sam, the dog and his computer. <clears throat> but when I get up, it's like I get up and I get ready, I get started doing whatever it is that I'm doing. And we will literally stand in the middle of wherever we are and we will embrace you know, it's something so small. Mm -hmm. We'll say good morning. We embrace, we kiss, and we just stand there. We stand there in our embrace. So that's that's an intentional thing that connects you on a more intimate level, right? Mm -hmm. Women women thrive off of intimacy but they don't exactly know what intimacy is. And guys, you know, for a man, it's just sex. But, you know, this, what we do in the morning, this is very, very, very intimate. And we both look so forward to it, to that one little thing that might last all of a minute or two, but it is really, really, it's something that we, that we love to do. Because, you know, the rest of the day is like, we don't know what, what's going to happen the rest right. of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so we got, we get, that's us getting it in. <laughs> wow, wow. Not to say that we don't, but, you know, that is something that we definitely do every day. It helps us get through our day. So All that right, makes so. us smile. What else makes you smile? I already gave one. What's yours? <sighs> mm -hmm, right. When you yeah. think about that question, like, because we're smiling all the time. So why are we smiling? Because we're just really, <laughs> really happy and content, I think. You know, I, I feel like Talisa. I would say enjoying our time. You yeah. know, we we don't have to do anything special. Is that being together, being yeah. with you makes me smile? Yeah, we spend we spend 90% of our time together. Do you all feel that? Mm, life's circumstances has opened you all up more to just being able to enjoy the space that you're in. Do that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Yes. Very good question. I would okay. say yes. I would say yes, because when couples go through those life issues, one of two things is going to happen, right? Get closer or they're going to be pulled apart and that'll be mm -hmm. the devastating devastation that, you know, ruins that, that relationship. So with everything that's happened and we've gone through, we've just gotten closer and closer. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and one of the one of the key things that stands out in my mind in our in our marriage is when Sam got really, really sick. So I know you don't know him, you just see him on social media, but Sam is one of those people who, you know, he used to be a bodybuilder and so I did he, a lot of praying during that time. And I uh -huh. don't know you, but I oh my gosh. You know, but he had gotten really, really, he's, he's, he's always so incredibly healthy. He doesn't eat crap, you know, so this, when he got sick, it was something that completely came out of the blue. 
you know, and the fact that really both of us really just thought that he had like he had gotten the flu or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, that and then to turn around and find out that it was literally life threatening was I mean, it was it was it was really crazy. And the fact that I was there, you know, we were there by ourselves. We didn't have any family, you know, around. You know, when Sam woke up that morning and said, babe, I think I need to go to the hospital. You know, I laughed at him. I'm mm-hmm. like, don't be a wimp. We're laid back down. Lay back down. Take his abscessor. Mm-hmm. But the the I heard something in his voice. So even though, you know, it was like I was laughing at him on the inside because of whatever it is that I picked up in his voice. I was like, okay, let's go. So we got him dressed and we went. And then, you know, my shock was that he was admitted. He was admitted into Mm -hmm. the hospital. And I had um, two dogs that I had just left because in my mind, I'm coming right back home. So when they admitted him, I was like, okay, they they said they were going to run some tests. They was trying to do an MRI on him. I went home to let the dogs out and put them back in the house. By the time I got back, that was like 15 minutes. By the time I had got back, this dude was, they had incubated him. Mm. And I, I was simply terrified. I was just so scared. They were, they had incubated him and they said, we need to airlift him to Emory. I will never, ever forget that. So when we talk about you know, life circumstances. And like he said, it's either going to do one or two things. You know, either you're going to tuck tail and run or you're going to fight. So here we are at Emory at the hospital. Nobody can tell me what's wrong with my husband. You know, they're telling me that he only has a 25% chance of surviving. So call your people because he probably won't make it because we don't know. And then it was like, Everything that could go wrong with him was going wrong with him. You know, I was in the room when he coded, you know, and that was, you know, that was like PTSD for me. Yeah. Yeah. Already been a widow before. And I'm just like, what? Then he had, you know, they brought him back. Then he started having seizures for somebody who never had seizures. You know, it was so many different things. And, you know, as you know, I started posting on social media and, you know, I had to gain strength and prayers for him mm-hmm. as much as I could from people who, you know, who, who knew how to reach heaven. And the people that I really, really knew who knew how to reach heaven was my Louisiana family. And so, um, but <clears throat> saying all of that brings me to this point of when I'm at the hospital and, you know, our pastor at the time had come and he, we were sitting there talking and he was just like, I'm so proud of you. You got hot. (laughs) He says, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, proud of me for what? For staying. For doing your job. Mm-hmm. Right for doing my no, doing what you signed dead. up for no, doing what you signed up for. No, I'm saying I'm yeah. saying sarcastically for doing what I signed up for Sam. for staying with Sam. And I'm yeah. just like yeah. I was baffled. I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He says because any the average woman 
would have left him. Mm. And I'm like, I was so taken Mm. aback. Mm. I was so offended, you know, but then I had to really, really consider what he had said, right? And then that's when you realize that you're really not average. (laughs) You're not an average person. I'm not average at all. All of my weirdness, right? I'm not average. But what I said was, even if, Sam, even if I felt like I could not deal with this, even if Sam and I were in a bad place, even if Sam and I were divorced and we weren't even together, if he was going, if something like this happened to him, I would still be there because Mm -hmm. his family is not. I would wait until his parents got here. If I was going to jet, I would wait until his parents got here. And then I would leave. I would never leave somebody in his current state. I would never just leave that person alone. But, you know, I was mad. But then it's like I couldn't get mad because you don't really know me. You don't know that, you know, this side of Janet that, you know, her grandmother and her aunts and her family, they poured this into her, right? That she was never going to leave Sam. She would have never left Sam in that, in that state. So, you know, I felt like at the time that I had to cover him, you know, as his wife. And so I literally, I could have been in a daggone military. <laughs> the way that I bulldogged those doctors, <laughs> staff, and you know, and even people who were coming to see him, because it's like, no, this is not a science experiment. This is my husband's. This we're talking about this man's life, and so that, and you know, it was that scary part, and then it was the aftermath of that his recovery it was like everything took so long but like he said it's in it's really in the challenges it's really in the struggle that you where the opportunity to really build is and so that made us very very close you know during that time and then in addition to that when the next hurdle was, of course, really the next biggest hurdle was my mom. No, but we see, here's the thing. We had already, when I say we in our first date laid everything out on the table, mm-hmm. it was like all these things that happened. And I think because we had that foundation already there and we were on the same page, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it was just natural because, you know, the funny thing is my wife did not want to move to Fayetteville, North Carolina. So we went not. to we went to we got a call from her aunt. I need to come to take a look, uh, see about your mom. And we got there, and I'm like, okay, see what's going on here. We can't leave. She was trying to leave. I'm like, we can't leave. We're not going anywhere. Get your mom right. Your yeah. mom needs us to stay here. Yeah, my mom was. She didn't realize. I didn't know what was going on with her, but at the same time, she didn't even realize what was going on with her. Period. And so she was being extremely cantankerous when we got there, right? And so I was like, listen, lady, 
I came here to help you out. I don't need no help. And I was like, we had we had, had a, a, a falling out. My mom had just gone completely left. And I was like, you know what? I'm the only person that's here. I'm leaving. She don't need me. And Sam was like, babe, we can't go. We can't go. Watch. Pay attention. Something is really going on with your mom. And so, you know, once I got out of my little feelings, you know, I started really, really paying attention. And I really had to concede. No, I can't leave. But it was like that was the next thing because people say that they'll be that they can go through the storm, right? They say that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but you don't know what the storm actually is. That's right. Yeah. So him being on a deathbed, that was a major, that was like a tsunami, right? And my mom's situation, neither one, I certainly was not prepared for what she was going through. I was never prepared. I was just going through the motions, but where I give him major kudos is that he never, ever left my side. He never left my side. He would just, he talked me off the ledge a couple of times. He held me while I cried a lot of times, you know, and whatever it is that, whatever it was that he could do, you know, for, for my mother and for me, you know, he did it. You know, and when he literally had to do the heavy lifting, he did the heavy lifting because even though she was a hundred pounds wet, that was she was a solid little lady, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's those kinds of things that help you manage through that get that get you through that next level, you know, because he was there when nobody else was there, mm -hmm. right? He was there 365 days a year. And not only did I have to contend with my mom, but at the time, my aunt as well, who was, mm -hmm. who was literally dying of cancer, you know, so it was a lot, you know, on my plate and he was there. He was, he stood by my side. He stood in front of me. He held me from behind. He did all of those things while still carrying the load of making sure that we were financially secure you know, at, at the time. So, you know, how can you not, right? How can, you know, this is, this is that test of time where the, 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 the water meets oil to say, and who's going to win. So we found out that we are very much stronger together because mm -hmm. we've had proven concepts, you know, and now it's like, it's the same thing in a different way, you know, because now it's, it's, it's my in-laws turn. And it's like he mm -hmm. said, we had this conversation from day one. We already knew that we were going to be here. We just didn't know that it was going to be that wherever here was, was going to be like it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So do we answer your question? You did very much so. So I'm about to switch gears. Um, Y'all like to eat. And oh, so, yeah. 
<laughs> and so this brings me to this moment because I get hungry and if I could just make the picture 3D and get a sniff or whiff of what was <laughs> like right there, I would. So when are you all going to put together a travel and food blog? I feel like it's stirring and y'all discuss this stuff, right? Um, it's stirring telling- for me, yeah. I was telling Jan this morning that, you know, I get up before a podcast and um, throughout the process, usually God will lead me and say, okay, I want you to talk to them. I want you to talk to them. And then he'll drop some nuggets. And so that's where this travel food um, blog come from. So come on, Sam, let's see what you got. You know, if I'm being, you know, transparent and honest, I've been wanting to do it for a while. Uh, I, maybe this is confirmation. <laughs> I listen. I, t- I already had my pre-talk with Jay and then I Jay. <laughs> maybe this is confirmation. Um, I would love to do it. I mean, I think it would be something extremely seamless. You know, we're doing it already. All we're doing now is just recording it, doing commentary, and you know, things like that. You know, see. But wait, wait, because I was going to say, I already see the YouTube channel, right? I can see you on somebody's television show, right, Um, discussing it. Um, I don't know. I'll drop that right there. Um, But that was your confirmation. Okay. All right. So, So, you know, I'm sure that as far as his his foodie thing goes, could translate into that. But we have actually been in talks and in the works of, you know, like really just doing those things for business, for his business. Um, if Sam, if Sam had a clone, two clones, then I'm sure that they would do all of the all of the other things that Sam is very, very passionate about, right? Food being at the very, very top of the chain, you know, because he often says that I am so creative and, you know, I can make something out of anything. And for, for you know, I do have a vision for that. I, I can see, you know, I love turning raw materials into something tangible and beautiful. But what where that's Sam up under at, there that that's up under there. So you leave you out of it and, and stick <laughs> to Sam. But <laughs> Sam, <laughs> where Sam is, like you know, Sam, I call him my my little my little brown skin geek. Sam is not creative the way that I'm creative, but I t- the. You know, I'm a Creole cook. So anything that has to do with Louisiana cuisine, you know, I'll be all over it. Sam is the kind of person that he will open the pantry and he will come up with an amazing meal from five things in the pantry. Me, I am certainly not that way. He he has such a love for food and such a vision for cooking, that he 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 knows the what it looks like at the end is what he wants before he even starts. 
that is really where his creativity just just like flows and explodes is really in his food and of course you know in what he does for um his business as well i think that what we're hoping for is you know to to be able to make him a garden my father-in-law before he got sick used to uh he has a whole garden he had a whole garden in the back in the backyard and so it's something that's like really in Sam. It just hasn't manifested as of yet. You know, so anything is anything is possible with him. Anything is possible um, with God. Mm -hmm. So Jan, mm -hmm. I know that you only like to do certain clothes items for yourself, right? <laughs> Here we go. Yes. So um, I'm going to need you to get it together because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got something. I understand doing stuff for us, right? Mm -hmm. But then when it comes down to um, jean wear, vintage wear, that's your niche. So tell us more about that and why don't you share it? Okay. You, so okay. Let, let me go back because. Do you not share because it will take the joy out of it and people are too picky? Like, I'm ready. I'm listening. Okay, so when I started Style with Taste, Style with Taste was only supposed to be for Sam. I, he, was, he was my muse, actually, <laughs> because he wore bow ties and he wore cufflinks. And I wanted him to, you know, style bracelets and stuff like that. I didn't like what I saw on mainstream. The bow ties and the cufflinks were so boring. I wanted him to have something, you know, just really, really unique and stand out for him, right? Mm -hmm. That evolved into some other things that, you know, and that evolution kept going into where we are right now. When it comes to for me, by me, you know, I started that particular journey to make things for myself because, again, you know, the clothing for women is just like, if you're not a size two, it's just like, it's not what's happening. So I decided that let me start sewing for myself so that I feel comfortable in my clothing and I can do whatever I want to with my, with my particular size. So because I do so many other things and Style With Taste had evolved so much for everybody else, mm -hmm. for me, by me, is really just for to be fitting me because I do custom stuff for other people, right? It's just not cookie cutter. That's the main reason that I don't sew for other people is because this is the only thing that I would have just for me. In addition to that, I feel is just the words that just came out of your mouth. In, in sewing apparel for other people, people are extremely fickle. You know, I know, you know, I follow a lot of couture people, you know, that, that have found their niche and found people that will uh, purchase for them from them, you know, but personally, I have I have witnessed how people are just incredibly fickle. 
They want you to do all kinds of work for them, but they don't want to pay you. And mm -hmm. so that would absolutely take the joy out for me. Not only that is that, of course, you know, my primary, the primary things that I do to take precedent over everything else is whatever is going on with our particular families. And so when it comes to sewing clothes for other people, doing apparel, I may not be able to complete the job because if something goes on, you know, in our personal life where we, with our parents or whatever, I have to be on that. That is, that is, and so that's where we are. You know, that's where I've been. And that's the reason why I, um, I haven't. Mm -hmm. Sam. Talk yes, about thank you. Brothers. Oh, I thought you wanted me to come in on that. Yeah, please. <laughs> you know what? Rewind. Jump in on Jan and get us together. Go ahead. Yes, because I see it entire. I, I agree with what she's saying, but I see it. I think business, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think business first. I think monetization. So it's all about the mindset my wife has for her business. Hey, I'll find. I, she knows this, right? All the support. And I have to back up. <laughs> That's an area where I had to back up at because I had it all mapped out, huh, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> he said, that was oh, my man, creative side for you. I was great, ready. Right? We're going to hire a couple of people. You do the design. And she was like, no, hold on, player. <laughs> hold on. It's not what I want to I had to respect that because I could see it, man. I could see that being so successful. But I had to respect, you know, this was her business. I had to fall back, <laughs> let my takeover uh, spirit subside and fall back to my supporter role. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. I see within her business, it's mm -hmm. like sour taste umbrella. There's several streams of income there, but I'm not going to force her to do that. I mean, if she wants to say it the way it is for the next forever, then that's, that's fine, you know, uh, with me. <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm glad you said it. Maybe it'll be a little small inspiration for her to go ahead and let me build it out. <laughs> let you build it out. <laughs> uh -huh. Because you don't have to do all the sewing. My yeah. joke is that, oh, I'll hire, you know, a Mexican lady to help you sew. And in her spare time, she can make me homemade tortillas. <laughs> okay. And it, it, that, that works. <laughs> you see, you see y'all about themselves. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you sitting out on a, a beach with some white sands and just the water, you know, and the little Mexican lady that bought a whole family in, you know, yeah. you be, you'll be all right. I think about. I can relate with you, Jim, because when I started the purse drive ministry that I do, mm -hmm. um, it started in 2017. God gave me a vision. I had a son that passed away. Um, I was laying in bed that year and yearly um, I was going through a thing mentally, you know, almost going through the why over and over and over again, year after year. Um, and so God gave me a vision and he showed me a room and it was filled with purses. And it was like a, a when you go to a play and they pull a curtain. And I said, what am I supposed to do with that? And God said, you're going to fill them. I said, huh? I laughed. I said, OK, I'm going to fill these purses. And God said, yes. I said, and how am I supposed to do that? You know, because I'm looking through my fleshly lens. What am I? How am I going to do that? And so he said, don't worry about it. You'll feel it. And then I said, where is this room even at? Like, you just going to show me a picture with, with partials. But here I am now, 2,000 purses later, mm -hmm. um, that we filled and I've taken and given to the homeless communities, nursing homes, people on the streets, 
you know, um, and it gets so good to where I have little pouches for men or I have pouches in the car that Xander give away and we put coffee cards and McDonald's cards and cash and uh, bubble gum and lip gloss and handful warmers like the ministry is huge. But then mm -hmm. people say, well, you should turn that into a nonprofit. I don't want to. Because mm -hmm. if I turn it into something of demand, then I'm not real. It's taking the joy out of it. The reason why I do it, I didn't want to do it to, to make money from it. You know, mm -hmm. I did mm -hmm. it because that's just, that's me. I'm a giver. I love to give. I love to watch people's reactions and different things like that. Um, for my birthday one year, I had that dream and I saw my office was full of purses and I was out just passing them out on my birthday. And so mm -hmm. we went to the park and we, you know, it was homeless people. It was um, <laughs> rich people. It was everybody in the park that day. And I was like, today's my birthday and I just want to give out purses. And, you know, you have some people like, what you giving out purses? And it's not junk purses, you know? Mm -hmm. And just to receive, it was like, they were floored. Oh my God, you giving stuff away for your birthday? Yes. You know? And just keep trusting God and keep going. You know, I don't stay long, kick all the purse and I'm out because I don't want, you know, I don't want that. I don't want the gratitude from the person. I see mm -hmm. it when you receive and I can see the spear man on the inside. And so I keep going. So I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. And you see, I didn't have like, you know, I'm, I, I try to stay as in tune spiritually as I can. I did not see myself making apparel either for other people. Mm -hmm. What I saw, you know, the things that I actually saw was what I'm doing currently and the part where I organize. So, you know, that, and I won't say never, I will not mm -hmm. say never because, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm doing that I thought I would never do. But as far as right now, because listen, I didn't sew. I, you know, I learned how to sew when I was in middle school. But once I got out of, once I got into high school, I never sold again. I never mm -hmm. sold until I got pregnant with Rob. Then I sold my maternity clothes and then I stopped. I made maybe one or two outfits for Rob and Ray. And then I stopped. I didn't mm -hmm. pick up a sewing machine again until I started making bow ties for Sam. So and that was just what a, a, a few years ago. So, you know, it's like sewing for other people. I can deal with my own mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Because like just like y'all saw that coat that I made that I upcycled this denim mm -hmm. um, kimono coat. So y'all see what the outside looks like. But y'all don't know what the inside, what them mm -hmm. scenes are looking like. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, for me, I don't care, right? Because it's mine. But I also know that if I, if I were to put that into rotation, you know, that all of that stuff would have to be cleaned up because I would be as professional as my other style of taste things are. As you should. And so mm -hmm. that there here's another nugget, right? God gives us these talents, right? And sewing is yours. Mm -hmm. And so here we are with this talent that we can use that will 
leave generational um, wealth, right? Because it's, it's another sower in your lineage, right? Um, your talent, it just didn't happen. And so God ignites those talents in those moments of need. And so now here you are, and yeah, the seams need to be perfect on the inside, but it's always something that end up at Ross and Marshalls and stuff like that, right? But you have a yang with you, right? Because you always help and undergird him, but he's ready to help and develop this, you know, with you and hit the ground running. And so eventually you'll get to the point to where you can stand back and just point fingers and get the jacket back and, and rip it up and start all over again with a nice little warehouse crew. Right. Mm. And, and, and on the inside, you just have to trust God because it can be done. That shouldn't be, you know, what stop you at all because you, my friend have a lot of talent and, for me, like I said, I could see the vintage line. I could see the plus size line, right? Because a lot of stuff I'll see, I'd be like, I'm not wearing that. And right. I'll go get a granny moo and put on, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't feel, I don't feel right. I don't want to just be out here exploiting myself. I feel like certain things should be for your spouse, right? Right, right. Okay. You should be covered. I feel that, you know, I don't have to look good. You know, my, as a woman, my attractiveness is not found in my nakedness. I never pulled a guy, you know, showing all kinds of skin ever. Never have I ever pulled a guy by wearing low cut, something high, uh, split up the butt, you know, showing my cheeks, showing my underwear. Never have I ever pulled a guy that way. So for, for me, you know, and it's modesty is not like Momo. It's not Momo. It's being classy. It's just being classy. As far as I'm concerned, that's just my mindset. So, you know, I feel, I feel what you're saying and, and I hear you and I'm gonna let that ride. <laughs> Yeah, because because you know I know fifteen hours later, you know you might come back. <laughs> <laughs> you know it takes me a minute. It's, it's okay. <laughs> all right, Sam, tell us about Bald Headed Brothers and where can we find you all? Where did that come about? Bald Head Brothers. Yeah, who came up with bald head brothers? I came up with bald head brothers. Boy, you did not come up with oh, bald no, no, head no, I brothers. Did. I, did. I thought you were talking about between. Uh, so, connection wise, you know, because, you know, whatever she, you know, what's mine is hers, what's, you know, what's hers is mine. No, I'm just playing around. Daddy came up with bald head brothers. I think we were doing a Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have a name, we were just on there talking, right? And she called us the Ballhead Brothers and this stuff. Mm-hmm. So Ballhead Brothers now has turned into a thing, <laughs> which was very organic. Yeah. Right. And just like I look at the opportunities and her talents, okay, well, we got to run with this. So we're in the process now, we, me, in the process now of building out the, the, um, the platform. Right now, we're only on Facebook. 
uh, streaming to Facebook. Mm -hmm. Twice a week. Mm -hmm. uh, twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I think I'll be doing the finishing touches on our whole studio and all that stuff um, today, this weekend. So next week, I'm hoping to be, you know, blasting out on the, the podcast channels, uh, on YouTube page, um, even maybe even LinkedIn, because we found there's an audience, right? We decided to talk not so much about insurance and investing, but we get a lot of questions about that, uh, about what's going just a different take on, you know, uh, what's going on uh, in the world. Uh, we're always trying to educate. And based on the feedback we've been getting, we're going to we're going to actually spend more time talking about the strategies we're using for our clients. Mm -hmm. Because that's what y'all started off. That's with. what we started off. With. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people want to know now in this age we're in, uh, we're in this this time where there's, you know, everyone's seeking knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to our community and money and finances, we're still way behind the eight ball on that. And I always say it looks great, right? On social media, you look like we're doing good as a people. We're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I speak to us on a weekly basis because I directly uh, am in the biz of helping my people. Uh, and that's intentional. So I speak to my people, whether they're making 50000 a year or $250,000 a year. And we're not there. As a matter of fact, that wealth gap is still not uh, putting us uh, on a higher level. We still got a lot of uh, things to, to do. Uh, and one of the examples I use there is like we're always hearing our people talking about generational wealth mm -hmm. uh, and we're not using the primary tool to build generational wealth, which is life insurance. And life insurance is all about uh, buying dollars on discount. That's all you do with life insurance. Every other demographic gets it. They buy as much as they possibly can. When I'm speaking to my average client that looks like me, they're trying to get as least <laughs> as they possibly right. can. It's a different whole mindset. So then if you look at it from that basic standpoint, because that that shows the view we have on money, right? A lot of people don't get it like that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I've always been a student of financial behavior. How do, how do people think about money? How do different groups think about money? We are not even, a, we can't even be classified as thinking about money in the right way as a group. Okay, we, we can't. Because when you look at, uh, you know, the numbers, which numbers don't a lot of people do, it just clearly shows that we're not there yet. There's been a small uptick over the last five years, maybe six years. And I mean a small uptick. And what I mean by that is these, these two last generations, they get it. They're not trying to do the 401k. Uh, they're not trying to do uh, the same type of uh, uh, money things that they saw their parents do. Uh, so they are the ones who are changing that financial narrative. Thank God. Uh, then there's a lot of my generation that's coming around to it. But here's the issue we have in our community. If I, you know, can go for it. My whistle it's your floor. The issue we have is that so many of us are teaching the wrong strategies. So we, we weekly, I'm talking to people and conversations go like this, but these other two guys said, this is a scam. And I should do it this way. So I said, okay, let's do this. Because you don't have to become a client of mine. I'm just thankful that I can educate you, right? That, that throws people away. What? You're not trying to make money on me? No, I don't have to make money on you. Because my client is going to be my client. I am attracting my clients to me. I don't have to stress out about when you talk to me, I got to push you to sign something. And that, that really freaks people out. Because they have these conversations with me. Because my goal was to always educate. 
when I first got into financial services um, and, you know, my, the people above me saw how successful I could be, they supported me, number one. And two of my mentors to this day, they don't look like me, but they told me some stuff that it even took me a minute to get my head around. <laughs> Back then, we actually delivered death benefits to people. And most of the times, we sounds kind of crazy now, but we were delivering death benefit checks to people at the funeral, the family, because that's the only time they you know had time for us to see us. So we ended up going to funerals. I'm never going to forget this. So I, I took them, <laughs> I took one of my mentors the first time to uh, a funeral, black family, and you know people on the floor rolling around, trying to jump in the casket, trying to jump in the grave. The death benefit was fifty thousand dollars. I'm never going to forget this. This guy goes, we go to lunch afterwards. Sam, oh my God, why? I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand that it, there was only a $50,000 death benefit. That funeral was pretty nice. So it's about 15, maybe, you know, 15 to $18,000 for that funeral, right? Including the repast and everything. That's not leaving a whole lot of money left for the family. See, this is that different mindset, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of money for the family to, to do other things, you know, business-wise. This, this guy's telling me at lunch. So the next time we go to, uh, he invites me to uh, go to a funeral with him. Of course, white people, different vibe, whatever, mm. you know, sniffling and everything, but none of this stuff you see at our going home <laughs> services. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's talking to me while we're in at the funeral. He says, see, he's pointing out the family members. Uh, you see how everyone's like, you know, they're sad they're, that ain't Betty is gone. But let me tell you what just happened. $1.5 million just went back into the family trust. Do you hear me? $1.5 million. That's on top of what's already in there. I think at that time, it's about a little over $6 million. Here's what's happening. Those two young people, they already got business plans that they're going to do some stuff with. They're going to loan it from the uh, the trust. They're going to do And I knew this back in the 90s. It was when I was being taught all this. Right? And I'm like, stoked. Oh, I got to share this with my people. But one of my other mentors and my boss at the time said it very clearly. Sam, you have the capacity to make change. In, and, and I didn't take this the wrong way. Other people did, you know, for your community, for your people. And they supported me in trying to do that. Back then, I was so abnormal in my way of thinking, in my way of educating that I didn't get any of my people to listen to me. My first three years as a financial advisor, back then I was what's called managing money. I was managed about $25, $30 million in assets under management, right? And I might have had three, I'll round up. I might have had five African-American clients. I was running money for the city of Bakersfield. Okay, that's how successful I was immediately off the, off the, off the bat. I, gave, I essentially gave all that up to focus on educated my community and i don't regret doing that because i'm going to be successful whatever i do mm -hmm. but fast forward now we're still having some of those same issues with getting our people to understand um how money works uh how powerful especially now the last number i looked at was 1.6 trillion we are black people in america a 1.4 1.6 trillion dollar economy now let that sink in for a second that is as big as some nations, some countries. What do we as a people have to show for it? Nothing. 
Okay. So we're, we're in a time, we've been in a, in a time for the last 15, I might even say 20 years, where we can no longer say, oh, they stopped me. Mm-hmm. Back in my day, we were growing up, we heard the phrase, the man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no one stopping this now. That 1.2 trillion, 1.4 trillion uh, size economy tells me all of that. We are our own worst enemy, especially when it comes to money, because that's the deal in, right? And it's us who are not doing what we need to be doing. And I went on a whole ramp mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> soapbox there, but it is that's what we're doing. That's what Ballhead Brothers is to bring it all, all back around. That's what Ballhead Brothers is just another avenue, another way for me personally to get the word out that you don't have to go to these so called gurus, right? Just get the basic information about money, which we don't have as a people. If we had that, just that alone would change the whole dynamic. It will let us, it will, here's one thing, I'll drop this and I'll, we can move on. It will let us realize that we can actually, and that's another term I don't like to use, like to use is by the block. It'll let us realize that we can actually get back to owning our communities. See, we, we forgot a lot of things. We used to own our communities. There was a point in time that the number of married couples in America was led by black families. A lot of people don't realize that. That's so powerful because when we're talking about this, this my topic of money, that power unit, and guess what also they had? They were owning the community. Why do you think all these black communities were burned and destroyed? <laughs> what was going on in those communities? Black people owned the community. The dollar stayed in that community. It very seldom went out of the community. We need to get back to that, legitimately get back to that. So that's what Bali Bread is all about educating our people on the strategies that are time tested that other demographics have been using and are using to do the very same very same things that i just mentioned so we have you all on facebook so if people look they can go to ball-headed brothers on facebook correct right? we're right now days. On facebook and instagram and stay tuned for the youtube page coming out okay so we're live on facebook on mm-hmm. tuesdays and thursdays at what time 8 30 a.m Eastern, Eastern. Eastern. Yeah, that's 8.30 a.m. Eastern. But it's recorded. It's recorded. They can always watch it at a, at a later time, which is what most of our, our audience does. All right. So I will attach that as well. Okay. So I want to thank you all for spending your time with me this morning and in, including me um, after the morning ritual. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, not, nothing comes before that morning ritual. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a good old couple Folgers. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, just like a good old couple Folgers. <laughs> I was going to say good to the last rub. <laughs> <laughs> so I thank you all. And so some takeaways from today is marriage is the first ministry. It mm-hmm. helps you connect. Um, and then everything else follows. We should change our speaking from from negative to positive and mm-hmm. energy goes to what you desire. Mm-hmm. Um, you need a person in your life that can hold a conversation with you all the way around and mm-hmm. finding those things are important. You have to discuss tough topics all throughout the relationship. It's always mm-hmm. evolving, but it's good to kind of do those tough topics in the beginning so that you know 
down the line what to expect from your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, do you tuck, tail, and run, or do you stay and fight when life happens in your relationship? Attractiveness is not found in nakedness. And then you can find bald headed brothers Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 30 on Facebook and Instagram. And on that note, if you hang in there with me, I'll hang in there with you. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>